0: I think it's almost worth picking up on the second point that Alan made there as well to almost turn around the the paradox of some of the growth agendas that are taking the foreground or certainly the pivotal position in a lot of city governments. Because if you look at the East End of London in particular, I think one of the more progressive problems, if you like, with the Keynesian welfare state that Alan was talking about was that it assumed... A particular kind of universalism and by that I mean that it assumed that one of the objects of government was the population and a population defined in a fairly restricted sense so it was a definition of the population that didn't make many allowances for anything beyond the nuclear family. So differences of class tended to be obscured, but also differences that emerge in contemporary cities around uh, ethnicity, around sexuality, around gender divisions, were in some way very often kind of struggling to emerge into a governmental agenda that was based on this premise, largely in many ways a laudable premise, that everybody was innately the same. And I think what that means is that uh, a lot of different voices are uh, kind of clamoring to be heard at a time in in cities when growth agendas talk about, as as Alan was saying, this kind of rhetorically easily mobilised notion that if you have economic growth, then everything will be all right. David Harvey, I think, famously once said that the question we all need to ask is, in whose image is the city made? And if you look at the current east end of London, there has been this enormous transformation of the old Dock area, which has been changed through... depending on how you calculate the figures, two to three billion pounds of of government investment into being a major second city of London in some ways. So you have a a very large-scale development of a financial services district around Canary Wharf, which includes in it several national newspapers, but also Citibank moving their London headquarters there, Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank moving their London headquarters there. And obviously a kind of large economic base alongside which there has been massive private residential development of luxury waterside apartments and so on so that part of london has been hugely restructured over the last 16-17 years but in whose image it has been made is quite clearly that of certain kinds of property development certain kinds of place marketing that alan was talking about and that engendered fairly major problems through the the exclusion of the local community but interestingly enough although some of the the work that went on around the docklands in the 1980s tried to use a fairly kind of unproblematic notion of community in juxtaposing the changes that were going on against the communities that were present on the ground. They tended to have, at times, a little grasp on the realities of community mobilisation and community protest, precisely because community didn't fit this kind of nice image of being the opposite of the property developer's vision of the future. So some fractions of the community were keen to get on board in a fairly pragmatic basis with whatever kinds of job were going. Some people were affected more by new kinds of property development than others. And in the same borough, the same part of London, if you look to the fringes of the city of London, you have a situation where there's is enormous fear in the late 1990s that the city will spread eastwards and and wipe out the local community as office development increasingly gathers around the old city corporation boundary. And what you see there are a lot of contests around specific land sites which tend to reflect what we might call a politics of difference as different fractions of communities see new forms of property development very differently so as the city begins to spread eastwards, the Bengali community will be simultaneously both very afraid that that particular kind of urban renewal, the old 60s term in the States, would be translated into a sort of Bengali removal from the area and so there's campaigns to preserve a Bengali presence, Bengali community housing as well as Bengali jobs. In that part of London there's been a big campaign to celebrate banglatown as the heart of the bengali community as a kind of almost like putting down a boundary against the city moving eastwards but at the same time other voices in the community want to preserve a slightly different notion of community a version of community that's tied to the heritage of the area to some of the old huguenot buildings of the area that translates in terms of both social class and in some ways in terms of race as people who are equally afraid of the city moving eastwards but are preserving for them a very different image of the, of the city than the one that might be put forward by those people who want to celebrate a notion of banglatown and community jobs on brick lanes so i think what's quite interesting in a way is, is that those divisions cannot but be seen eventually and they cannot but be seen both in the old Keynesian models of universalism which begin to fail, but also in some of the new models of of partnership which assume at times, I think, a a fairly homogeneous notion of trying to bring together the private sector, the public sector and something that is referred to as the community when in reality the kind of fragmentation and complexity of of both the private sector and the community is, is actually something that is extremely difficult to bring on board in institutions in a way that is both equitable and at the same time workable.
1: I think that's really important. I think in terms of getting a shared agenda or getting an agenda which looks shared doesn't mean that actually everybody agrees with everything that's on it. So while it's okay to imagine, I mean, that's in the case of East London, much of the image was handed down from the Docklands Development Corporation, actually, of course, it's been reinterpreted, reused, rethought by the people who live with it and by the people who work in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not straightforward. You can't just say that because something is dominant or a particular agenda appears to be dominant, that that's actually how it's Mm -hmm. working out in practice because there are always processes of negotiation of argument because of the way in which difference comes out. and It can't simply be homogenized. And I think that's one of the things that makes notions of urban governance quite exciting. I mean to come back to the original question it is the possibility of realizing that stuff can't be closed down that there are openings that there are always openings sometimes it doesn't feel like it.
0: From the Open University. For more information go to www.open.ac.uk/use